Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the Book Riot podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We are recording on Thursday, June 16th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. Jeff is out on vacation this week, and I'm here with our managing editor, Vanessa Diaz. Hi, I'll do my best to do weird um, transitions and metaphors and fill in for the Jeff. Yeah, we got to come up with some agricultural <laughs> references. Yes. <laughs> Make some puns. We'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll do them proud. <laughs> I know. I was promising to do some agricultural jokes on one of our all hands calls yesterday. And I don't I don't think I got any single opportunity. Nope. So I should have like prepared should have come prepared with some I'm just you know, gonna farm write some down references. yeah next time <laughs> yeah just be loaded be ready <laughs> be loaded be ready is going on my list of t-shirt ideas that Rebecca knows about <laughs> loaded with like a, a barn full of bad ideas there we go uh, anyway thank you all for joining us this week it is you know we're feeling like we're in full swing summer. Book world news has slowed down a little bit, but of course, pl still plenty of things to talk about. And before we get into the news of the week, we want to just jump into our first sponsor. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay. Well, Vanessa, I don't know if you have had a chance to listen to our latest Patreon episode about power ranking. So let me tell you what we did. We took the Goodreads list of the most popular books published in the year 2000, and then we power ranked our top 10. Oh, good grief. <laughs> and it is a wild list. There are many things that happened in the year 2000. Oh, my face. If only this were a visual <laughs> medium. Wow. Okay. <laughs> It's also complicated by the fact that that list continues to be updated weekly. So it's good. Oh. It's organized by, right? That's an interesting wrinkle. It's organized by the books were published in the year 2000 and then ranked by how many users have added those books to their shelves. So some of them are books that have like been popular since the year 2000 or were super popular then and got enough shelvings then to just keep them high on the list. But we couldn't come up with like any recent things that would have bumped them up. Some of them, on the other hand, 
are books that probably there wasn't much conversation about, at least in mainstream publishing in the year mm -hmm. 2000. But they've like, I don't know, been adapted into very popular, mm -hmm. diversely cast Netflix romance series. Aha. Uh Aha. -huh. Uh -huh. And now they are in that Goodreads list. So it's a moving target, um, which is interesting. And in, like, if we went back and looked at that list, you know, in another six months, yep. some of the things we talked about would probably be there. Some of them would fall off. But it was really interesting to have a snapshot of that year. What was new? What was cool? What was worth talking about in 2000? And which pieces we're still talking about now? Uh, so if you have not listened to that, if you haven't checked out our Patreon, you can do that at Book Riot. Sorry, no, at patreon.com slash Book Riot podcast. When you join at the uh, first level, you get just access to this show early each week. You'll get access to it on Friday instead of on the following Monday, and it'll be ad-free. Um, if you join at our next two levels, you get all of those episodes plus our regular bonus episodes that are always ad-free. And those come out on Tuesdays each week. So you'll also be able to, as you join, access the fallback catalog. So if you've been holding out and thinking like, we've got a couple months worth of interesting stuff there, um, you could join, you could go back and see the things that we've done so far. So check that out, patreon.com slash podcast. All right. V, are you ready to hop into the Wayback Machine a little bit? Yes, I've got my seatbelt on. Let's do this. <laughs> Does the Wayback Machine have seatbelts? Probably guess it, not. It's No, it probably <laughs> doesn't. It probably has no seatbelt and like a carton of cigarettes in the glove compartment. But let's Let's do this. All right. I don't know about you, but my teenagehood was defined by one particular book published by MTV Books, and that was... Oh, gosh. The title just completely escaped me. Is it what you call it? it um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was <laughs> what you call it. There's two of it. us now. <laughs> this is great radio we're doing here. Yeah, you know. It was lime green, and yes. it was about teenage uh, Perks of being a wallflower. Angst. Perks of being a wallflower. There we go. See, I, I know things. I, write for, I work, manage a book site. It's fine. <laughs> we this got there. what we happens there. when you're rounding the corner to 40, kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just gonna throw some glucosamine in my cart here and anyway no kidding yes Woof. we're I, off to a, a good start we are here. but yes i remember this book very very succinctly it was absolutely defining right and that was i think the only book i remember having been published by mtv books i think they Correct. did other things but that's the one that i know of Several months back, maybe even last year, we saw an announcement that MTV Books was coming back. It was going to be relaunched. And that relaunch news is happening now. There's a piece in Publishers Weekly uh, by Sophia Stewart. So they're, the first books from the newly launched uh, MTV Books imprint will be coming out in 2023. It's being housed under um, Simon & Schuster. Uh, and, well, it first launched with Pocket Books, and now it's yeah. housed under the branded publishing group at Simon & Schuster. So it's basically, they're calling it a page-to-screen pipeline, which is smart and interesting. And the first, the 2023 slate features seven titles. There's a mix of YA and adult fiction and some adult nonfiction. And moving forward, they're planning to publish eight to ten books per year with a specific focus on lifting up underrepresented and misrepresented voices that fit inside this page to screen or screen to page pipeline. So it's like, find great TV properties that you can make a book out of, mm -hmm. find great books that you can make a great TV property out of and sort of have them going back and forth. What do you think? 
I was so when I first saw it, like hadn't read the piece yet, and I just saw the headline. I will just just full disclosure was like, do I care? Uh, because I didn't. I could, I had honestly forgotten that Perks of Being a Wallflower was an MTV books like property, mm-hmm. and so at first, uh, and then I went in and I I don't know took a peek at like some of the folks that they're bringing on board. I, I think I mean especially if you're just if like on the basis of the adaptation potential alone and i know that goes in both directions but like this seems like a smart like kind of a no duh move (laughs) Uh, i'll be interested to see what they actually publish they've got some interesting folks on the team as far as like the stuff that Mm -hmm. some of those folks have like already worked on i think some of the person who did um the tomei adiemi series uh children of blood and bone i think yes so there's yeah like I'm, i'm interested like i I'm just super interested to see, especially as they, you know, refer towards the bottom of the piece about some of the kinds of like shows that they like see themselves making kind of content out of. I'm I have a little bit of a huh uh, about it, and I don't know that it's. I I feel like I have left MTV in my past, maybe, but that doesn't mean that they might not do some really interesting stuff. You know, so you know, you I think you're getting to my biggest question about this, which is why still call it MTV? Cor- books? There you go. Correct. Like, Right. Like this makes sense to me as an imprint. Certainly page to screen pipeline is a mm-hmm. thing that a lot of companies are interested in doing. There's a lot of partnerships going on with that right now. And if you can source the book material when it's still you know, being written yep. and grab that and license it and then go right into production for a TV show or a film, that's super efficient and you can do all kinds of interesting deals there. So I, I think I fully understand what yeah. they're going for with the business model, the branding is, is I think, really interesting to me. Like, we are obviously not the target audience no. <laughs> for these books anymore. Um, but do do the kids – now I'm, I'm fully in Steve Buscemi. Hello, fellow Hello, fellow kids. kids. No, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, do the kids these days care about anything branded MTV books? And you know, I guess it, maybe it doesn't really matter because imprint branding doesn't really matter that, at yeah, all to general go. readers. That's true. But publishers want it to. So yeah. if you believe that imprint branding matters, why do you still label it MTV? I don't know. Maybe it has a lot of cachet that we are out of touch with. But I w- I'm most surprised by that, I think. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Because, yeah, that was absolutely my, uh, I guess, when I said, like, I don't when, you know I don't know if I care. It was more like, yeah, like, is this a thing that, quote unquote, the kids are talking about? And I agree that the content itself could work. But yeah, you have a really good point there that like most of the average people I ask is like, what imprint did that book you low come? They don't have any clue. <laughs> How, half the time I don't have Could a clue. Could they define an imprint? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. So I guess we just have to kind of, I, you know, anything that's in theory going to go in with the, you know, ethos of trying to uplift underrepresented. And I like the misrepresented part too. I think that's interesting. So like, you know, may your efforts oh, succeed, I guess. Just because I don't, I, the more I spend time with it, not that this is the how do I let's say they made a you know the whole like franchise that was like the 16 and pregnant show I think that's what it's mm. called right 16 and pregnant shows I saw something about them having I think someone that either was like a star of the show or what have you might uh inspire like a, a book or a show or a podcast or something mm-hmm. and so much of that kind of stuff I think was of a different time uh, I don't know that I mean, I, I think maybe that show is still around, but I don't, I'm thinking of what it used to look like and whether or not the framing of it and just the way that folks are represented on that show. That's just one example is like a thing that I still would want to see meaningfully done now. So if there's like a book that maybe gives some of those folks a di- like a space to ex- not explain, but to just sort of be like, no, this is actually you know who I am as a human. <laughs> 
they're I'm I'm really interested in the clearing up, I guess, of misrepresentation just as we look at media and books that came out a long time ago to like what they look like now. So there's something there maybe. Yeah. That's really interesting and it it does feel like it might be of a piece with the sort of corrective the documentaries go. that are coming out now about the ways that we yep. treated media and pop culture figures in the 90s like mm-hmm. we're all sorry about Britney and Monica Lewinsky and Pam yep. Anderson mm-hmm. and a whole host of other ones that we haven't even gotten to yet who deserve the same sort of yeah. reexamination and I think that's a really interesting point that MTV has certainly done some exploitative entertainment in that way, looking at people yeah. having different kinds of experiences um, and you and spinning them for entertainment for ratings, rather than for, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah right. For, rather than like, this is a human look mm-hmm. and being, you know, respectful of, of that experience and of their humanity. So it is interesting. This seems to be a much more earnest undertaking than yeah. what we're used to seeing from MTV. Yeah, I guess I will have to wait and see. All right. I will be eagerly following that. Another thing we are eagerly following, that we're always following, is, you know, book sales trends, especially TikTok-driven book sales trends. And given the current political and social climates, what's going on with LGBTQ books in particular? And I'm delighted to see a headline this morning from Publishers Weekly, mm-hmm. uh, also by Sophia Stewart. Yeah. LGBTQ fiction sales surge in the U.S. Here's the headline, Vanessa Diaz. A recent report from NPD BookScan found that U.S. print book sales, so we're not even talking about ebook and audiobook <sighs> sales, print book sales of LGBTQ fiction reached nearly 5 million units in 2021. 5 million. And that is double, double. the 2020 sales. Double. The, the implied <laughs> sub-headline there is suck it. And I'm very much here for it. <laughs> like, I just... <laughs> Yeah, that is that is lovely. The the five million number already had me, and then when I realized it was double, it was just like okay. And considering what book sales were doing, you know, in the last couple of years, that is nothing. Mm-hmm. Just need that. That is that is yeah. And the fact that it's just print is still like oh my gosh, that's it's fantastic. It's wonderful. Right. So this one features um, well the the book titles that are just in the headline here are They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera, One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston, and On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. Real variety mm-hmm. there. Of course, Adam Silvera's They Both Die at the End exploded on TikTok um, all the way back in 2020. Uh, other adult LGBTQ fiction titles, including Ocean Vuong's, were popular in 2020 and 2021. This continues to be a growing and really important category. I cannot wait to see what the 2022 numbers oh my gosh. look like. And I think, I just think reasonably we have to ascribe most of this to TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> but some of it, I think is also due to the Streisand affecting of what's happening on the right with trying to ban and remove books by queer people from schools. And that just makes kids more aware of them. Oh, I, I, I mean, the trend's already looking pretty good for 2022. I don't remember what the figure was. I can pull the article up, but I want to say it was up like maybe 40% like already to begin the year. Oh, it's, yeah, so far this year, adult LGBT- LGBTQ is, yeah. fiction is leading the sales gains, and it's currently up 55% over 2021. So yeah, it's still very strong. Strong, strong direction. YA is, you know, again, predictably, possibly because of this whole TikTok situation, just really leading the charge here. I mean, it's great overall, but 
the YA titles in particular are the ones that I'm like, the, the kids, they might be all right. <laughs> I know. The kids, I think the kids are going to do okay. And as we you know, get into that, we're continuing also to follow what's going on in schools. We don't want to get too into the weeds of this piece, but Kelly Jensen wrote a great piece for Book Riot last week about a group called Moms for Liberty that has created a book rating system. You can imagine <sighs> what they want to rate the books on. And they are part of this ongoing campaign, ongoing strategy on the far right to insinuate their way into school board meetings, onto school boards, into the rooms where it's happening, um, to try to influence how decisions are made about what books are part of curricula and what books are available to kids in libraries, and like wh what kids include, not just their kids, but other people's other kids, people's kids yeah. are allowed to read. Um, so you can take a deep dive there, but the um, we'll drop a link to Kelly's piece in the show notes, but the rating system is six, a six point scale from zero to five. Zero is books for everyone. One is child guidance. So there's um, mild profanity, non-sexual nudity, just... no references to sexual activities. I know. No drug or alcohol use. Two is teen guidance, which is some contents may not be appropriate for children under 13, moderate violence, moderate profanity, inexplicit sexual nudity or sexual activities, drug or alcohol use is pregnant. Or is, that's, <laughs> there's a Freudian slip. <laughs> is <gasps> present. <laughs> oh, this is officially worth it. Thanks, Jeff. That's a good uh. one. That's a good one. <laughs> Um, the three is minor restricted. So under 18 requires guidance of the parent or guardian. These are books that contain explicit violence, frequent profanity, sexual nudity, references to sexual activities. And then there's details about which sexual activities can this or can't be involved. This is the part that I, yeah. Yes, right. And then a four rating is no minors may read this. It is adult content, explicit sexual nudity, obscene references to sexual activities, again, with a list of which activities are, you know, considered to constitute obscene. And then this is my favorite. This is the special category, oh, aberrant, aberrant content. Aberrant. That's the and new book from Veronica Roth after Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. It's the, the sequel nobody asked for. <laughs> I can't with this category. I know. I mean, First of thing. all, the use of the word aberrant is like, are we in Footloose? Are, yeah, precisely. <sighs> At which, this that's the kind of world these folks want. These are books that they consider to be for adults only. These books make explicit references to aberrant sexual activities. And they have a parenthetical explanation of what some of those are. Nowhere on this rating list does it say LGBTQ. Nope. And that is, I think... One of the sneakier things. It also Absolutely. doesn't define what's explicit, what is frequent, uh, <laughs> you know, what's explicit violence, what is frequent profanity, yep. how many F-bombs can you drop before how, you're aberrant. How much non-sexual nudity is fine. Like, just standing around in the buff is okay. But, like, I just, I, I, who, whoever sat down and wrote this is the part that I'm like, you sat there and you thought about this. No. And- it's clever in its way, which oh, is, absolutely. I think, the upsetting, the, the most upsetting or concerning part is if you just see this, if you're just like a casually engaged person Correct. who sees this, it's like, it's like, oh, this isn't a bad idea. Maybe just we should for the know, have some sort of rating. Like, right, we, we're looking out for the kids. We have rating systems on TV and on movies. 
Tipper Gore ruined rap CDs for us in the 90s <laughs> with her explicit, explicit content ratings. So like, why not have them on books? And if you just scan this, you don't see anything nope. that identifies like, oh, these people are really just trying to get queer books off of kids' shelves. And that's not the only thing they're trying to do. They are trying to remove references to all kind of sexual expression. But the thing they're most focused on is nowhere present on this list. That's what's so insidious about it. It's just so incredibly frustrating. It really, really is. Um, so if this is a thing, if you're hearing about rating systems in your kids' uh, school districts, on your school boards, from your local politicians, Kelly dives deep into how Moms for Liberty is working and what some of the other organizations that they've partnered with um, are using this rating system. There's a... Um, an, sort of an online reference called Book Looks that they're also referring to, which of course also sounds pretty benign. Uh, none of these things come with a flag that's like, hello and welcome to the alt-right. Here is your beginner <laughs> package. Your membership kit is in the mail. Yeah. Right. So check out this piece from Kelly. Um, it, it's a great resource that hopefully we can stop needing so soon. Now, Vanessa, the time has come. Oh, gosh. James Patterson had a week. I hate it here. Would you like Would, would you like to tell our listeners what's up with <sighs> sure. Jimmy Pat? Jimmy P, as I refer to him. It's, yeah. Um, so James Patterson, who I am, you know, most of you probably know, <laughs> went on. <laughs> I just don't even know where to start with this. So the, the piece that we're going to drop the link to is in Entertainment Weekly. It's by Jessica Wang. Uh, with his mouth... <laughs> Patterson, in a recent interview, went off about how it's really hard out here to be an old white dude, uh, specifically saying mm -hmm. that you don't, first of all, that you don't meet many 52-year-old white males. I'm just like, sir, good sir, <laughs> my brother in Christ, <laughs> turn on the television, look at the Senate, look at, uh, anyway, okay, sure. And then basically said it's like really hard to get a job these days as an older white male. He's like, can you get a job? Yes. Is it harder? Yes. It's even hold harder for older writers. You just don't meet, again, many 52-year-old white males. J James Patterson has more money in that little pocket of your jeans that no one knows what to do with <laughs> than I will ever <laughs> have in my bank account. <laughs> like, oh, then most of us combined listening to this show will ever What have. are you even talking about? Like, I, you know, I expect... People, I guess, to, I don't know. I'm, I'm just continually disappointed by folks who've reached like a certain modicum of success for not doing what I would do, which is just shut up and count my money in my tower. <laughs> but <laughs> this is pretty like for you of all people who have all the money and all the books and pay all the ghostwriters. I just don't understand how you didn't even, I don't know, like catch yourself even as you were saying it. And then, oh, you know what? I had the thought, but like I should backtrack. <laughs> just like the... The really clutch quote is that male writers experience another oh, form of Oh my racism. gosh, I think I blocked that part out. I I just, <laughs> and there was a really great Slack conversation that we had on the staff side. Like he was like, oh no, no, maybe he maybe he forgot. He meant to say a different word. Like maybe he was going for schmacism <laughs> or, you know, escapism or something. Like, because he, spoiler alert, had to, you know, quote unquote, apologize for these comments. Yeah, this is... <sighs> I mean, James Patterson is at the top of like every time Forbes does a list mm -hmm. of the world's richest authors. It's James Patterson and J.K. Rowling. And I can't remember which order they fall in, but it's the two of them up there together. 
He has an estimated net worth of $800 million. Again, what are we even talking about? (laughs) So I just... Where did you interview is recently he, that someone turned you down? Like, did Target reject your resume? <laughs> I got what, what, what? Where is the job? Is this about James Patterson, or does James Patterson think he's being an advocate for other yeah. disenfranchised middle-aged white men? Which is a sentence I can't get out without laughing. Um, just I okay. I am no longer surprised when rich old white men hold opinions like this. Correct. I am surprised when someone who has had as much media training and exposure as James Patterson thinks it's okay to say them out loud. Like, whoever his publicist is, I hope I, like, I wish I could send that person a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, like, I I hope you have a massage lined up for the weekend, because the way that phone must have blown up, it's just, no. Like, what is this? Not to mention the parts in the piece where he kind of goes on about... (laughs) Like Woody Allen, <laughs> just its levels of bad. Oh yes, yeah. There is also we do need to provide James Patterson with a remedial explanation of how the First Amendment works. Correct. Because in the same breath, where he's talking about white men experiencing another form of racism, he talks about his support for freedom of speech and how he was therefore appalled that employ employees from Hachette walked out when. They were when they found out that Hachette was going to publish Woody Allen's memoir. Now, the deep irony here <laughs> is that in doing that, those employees were exercising their freedom of speech. And that's and also the po- quote he gave is that he is almost always on the side of freedom of speech. <laughs> like, oh, what are uh, the exceptions to the rule, first of all? My dude. And just a reminder. A publisher deciding not to publish someone's book is not a violation of their First Amendment rights. Super not. That is not what the First Amendment means. So James Patterson, he he decided, like, he woke up and chose violence. Yep, absolutely. Really. <laughs> and, and the internet reacted to it as it should. This made its way to the New York Times, which is one of the ways that we know that I think the world in general is taking these kinds of comments seriously and in a different fashion than they would have five or 10 years ago. Um, They're calling out what's going on when this happens. And so there's a piece by Michael Levinson from June 14th, which was the day after James Patterson's quotes about writers. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Uh, Where Patterson has apologized on his Facebook page um, he he says, I apologize for saying white male writers are having trouble finding work as a form of racism. I absolutely do not believe that racism is practiced against white writers. Please know that I strongly support a diversity of voices being heard in literature, in Hollywood, everywhere. Uh, that was read that an awfully short. <laughs> I was going to say, he read <laughs> yeah, that from a yeah, cue yeah. card all day. Oh, yeah. Yeah awfully short turnaround Mm -hmm. for such a serious change of heart Mm -hmm. uh the next sentence in this piece is mr patterson who (laughs) Who is 75 75 and white white? (laughs) sorry that just took me out (laughs) oh no no this is has sold nearly 450 million books since 1950 million books like i most (laughs) writers out here have day jobs for most of their careers because you don't do that like what are we again what are we talking about? oh yes this is all 
complicated by first the fact this whole conversation comes up in context of the writer from the London Times asking him about (laughs) the fact that Alex Cross is a black man. And so James Patterson has built a large part of his career on a series about a black character. He gets himself into a little like it's not hot, but it's like lukewarm water Mm -hmm. talking about how he would never have tried to write a serious saga about a black family. But in a detective story, it's different. You can be a white guy who writes a black character because the plot is so important, which, you know, (sighs) if you've read some James Patterson books, you know, there's not a whole lot of character development happening there. So at least he kind of knows what he's about. Yeah. And then Levinson, I think, geniusly pulls in (laughs) statistics. Let's talk. Speaking statistics to power is my favorite thing, I think. Uh, Hachette, Mr. Patterson's publisher, in their own internal study, found that only 34% of contracts with new contributors went to authors and illustrators who were Black, Indigenous, or people of color, according to a report that came out in March which is up from 29% in 2020 and 22% in 2019. So they're growing there. But within the company, 65% of the workforce is white. 78% of employees in senior manager roles are white. Over at Penguin Random House, an audit showed that looking 75. at contributors. In- <laughs> Sorry, uh-huh. that number's screaming in- at me. <laughs> it's a big number, Vanessa Diaz. <sighs> of contributors, authors, illustrators, and other creators to PRH properties were white. 5% were Hispanic, 6% were Black, and about 7% were Asian. So that's what you got. Levinson also gathers up some quotes. Um, We have a a piece on Book Riot as well by Danica Ellis that gathered reactions to this. And one of the things that I was glad to see from it is that there are other middle-aged, very successful white men in the world of publishing responding to Patterson, talking about like, no, this was not hard. You've got John Scalzi. You've got bajillion dollar book contracts being like, this is not real. (laughs) It's just because it's not. It's just... Go go look at Amazon's landing page at any given time for funsies and check out like just in his genre alone. Like if you want to just go to th- go ahead, just just go ahead. Like <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> and not just in the publishing landscape in general, Correct. but especially the books that get the big marketing budgets and that mm-hmm. become bestsellers. Bestseller lists are still very predominantly white yeah. and often very very male. James Patterson appears at the top of a lot of those. So I think I just want to have a like, who hurt you conversation. Come to the red table talk, Jimmy P. (laughs) (laughs) Now that is a thing that would make me tune in. I would as well. (laughs) But I just, uh, yeah. And you know, like a fake insincere. Well, let's go with insincere. I don't believe that this is a real apology. Um, I think he was being honest when he was speaking Mm -hmm. off the cuff in that interview. And he got caught and at best was not thinking. But still, this is the thing that comes out of your mouth when you're not quite thinking about what you should be saying out loud is is pretty telling. Acknowledging it at all, I guess, is better than doubling down. Um, But that's like clearing a bar that's on the floor. Oh, my gosh, it's in hell. Yeah, this idea that is so pervasive that because this is obviously not a refrain that's like new to anybody who's been paying attention. Like you get this sort of thing in all sorts of spaces about how it's getting hard to be white. And it's like what you are re- feeling and seeing and reacting and experiencing is that you no longer get to take up 
all the space. And that is not mm-hmm. the same thing as not being given any. And for the love of all right. things pure and holy, <laughs> like I need people like this. I, I, again, I just can't believe that even after you got two or three words out of it out, that there isn't enough evidence of like the current social awareness for you to have been, you know what? This is not going to go over well. <laughs> like the commitment to <laughs> plow through that is very telling, I guess, it's of true. like where you are. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right on the money there. And I don't know if any studies have been done looking at this with how race shows up like in meetings or in boardrooms, but there are pretty famous social psych studies that we've talked about here before that show that if you're in a space where men have been dominant or have been the only people on the team and then women either enter the space or start talking that if a woman or the women in the room take up like 25% of the speaking time of a meeting where historically men have done all the talking, the men in the room often perceive them as dominating the conversation. Mm -hmm. And this feels like a cousin of that pattern of like James Patterson is still sitting at the top of the bestseller list Mm -hmm. and the top of his Scrooge McDuck pile of money. Mm -hmm. But he's seeing that other people coming behind him, other people getting access to publishing and to large audiences and large advances don't necessarily look like him. And that must be threatening in some way. And that's too bad, especially for an author who has built his career on a character based on a black man. Yep. Just, just going to call that rich and move on. <laughs> <laughs> in so many senses of in the all word. of them. Yep, exactly. Uh. <laughs> Uh, oh, Jimmy. <sighs> Let's cool. cleanse our souls, Vanessa. Let us. Let's take a break first. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, we're back. Let's just step into the front list foyer. Let's talk about nice things. That sounds like a plan. What have you been reading lately? It's funny, everybody asks me this question, and I always feel like I'm living in the future because of the podcasts that I'm mm-hmm. on. And I was, I saw this and like started to have a slight sweat reaction. I'm like, wait, what am I reading? Um, <laughs> I have, what have I been reading lately? I have a whole bunch of stuff on my uh, list, but I just finished a, I needed a, like a soul cleanser, not just on this show, but in general. And I read the new, oh my gosh, what is the name of the author? It's called Flying Solo. It is. Oh, Linda Holmes. Holmes. I loved it so much. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you know this, but I am, well, A, single. (laughs) B, also (laughs) share many of this character's weird idiosyncrasy, like the sleeping next to someone where I can't sleep when someone's in the same bed like it I, I won't sleep because oh. I know you're there it's like a whole complex <laughs> and this is I've had this issue since like sleepover days when I was a kid like it's just if someone's in the bed like I, I can't sleep and I have an obsession with mallard ducks so <laughs> I was on all the books with Liberty and she's describing this book and I was like oh my god I, I was like frantically adding it to my car like someone wrote a book about a white me um so anyway it is so delightful there is a caper involving a missing wooden like a decoy duck that this woman's aunt who has just passed away, who was like her respite, her like calm from the storm person in her life who would, you know, invite her over when her brothers were being too loud to just have some like one-on-one time. She passes away and as they're cleaning out her house, 
Um, this main character finds that you know decoy duck and is like, oh, and gets it appraised. The guy tells her it's trash, but it turns out maybe not because he steals the duck, and it's a whole caper from there. But it was so sweet. I loved it so much. It was. I loved all the like capery heisty mm-hmm. stuff inside the love, you know, the love romance story, story yeah. of it, and a romance that features a heroine who's in her 40s who's not trying to like get married and uproot her life for a dude was very refreshing and she lives in the pacific northwest (laughs) i was just like hey (laughs) like yeah it was it was really really sweet maybe linda holmes is reading your mail she might be she might be but it was so refreshing to see all those levels of you know yeah representation of like not every woman wants or person wants to follow that you know pre-prescribed path in relationships Mm -hmm. Plus a duck. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Really, I, I really <laughs> love. Really duck. love the duck thing. <laughs> it was so much fun. So that was. Uh, I, I blasted through that in a day. It was just so much fun. I, I really enjoyed that. Oh, she's so great. She is. Um, anything else on your list lately? I really want to read the new um, Kristen Chen. It's. I can't remember the name of it right now. I want to say it's called Counterfeit. Maybe that's oh yeah, I've been seeing that everywhere. Apparently, I'm in like a caper place. (laughs) So like, it's like there's like a con artist story, and there's you know yeah capers. That's I really want to read that one next. That's by Christian Chen, but I haven't gotten all the way to it yet. Um, What else have I been loving? I recently finished the oh my gosh. So this is oh my god, I cannot remember the name of the. We're having all kinds of not remembering book (laughs) titles lately. Oh, um, Café con Lychee. It's mm. this really sweet YA rom-com that features a Latino boy and an Asian boy. And they are, it's like a Romeo and Juliet type of thing where like their parents own competing cafes in town. Cute. And it's just very sweet because of course they're like enemies at first and then they, you know, feeling feels for each other and it's just delightful. So that's another great one that I've done. And then the new Alex Harrow, which is that, uh, I think they're called Fractured Fables is the series. I don't know if you've if you'd read any of those. Mm-mm, the first one no. is uh, Spindle Splintered, and then this one's called A Mirror Mended. She's taking like, fairy tales and remixing them in, in like novella form. They're very short. Cool. The, yeah, it's just cute what she's doing with it. They're now like queer, and the the main character is like a girl with a terminal illness who relates to Sleeping Beauty because of the condition that she has, and her friend throws her a party she touches the spindle and oh my gosh she's in an alternate universe but they're really fun and again like queer and uh just awesome so i just finished that too oh that sounds really good um i've got some good ones on my recent list too i just read memphis by tara m stringfellow it's a did you read it no i I think i just downloaded it a couple days ago (laughs) i mean i love a multi-generational family story (laughs) It's it is unsurprisingly set in Memphis. It moves between the mid 20th century and present day about a couple generations of women, uh, black women in a family from Memphis opens when uh, one of those women is leaving her husband who has been abusive. So trigger warning for that uh, to go stay at her sister's house with her two teenage kids. And one of her teenage children has the been previously abused when she was a child by this sister's son also trigger warning for Mm -hmm. child sexual abuse then Um, and you you get details about that on the page so there are some sections that are challenging to read Uh, and mostly is about that that mother her daughters 
how they grew up. And then you get some looks into what would have been the grandmother and some of the like, maybe the great grandparents and their generation of this family based in Memphis, places that they've moved, but they always end up back in this big rambling house um, that's filled with art and music and just strong, passionate women who are there for each other and have this kind of community um, really celebrating each other and celebrating art. And I just loved it. I love I read that in one afternoon, you know, mm. just a big juicy story about family stuff and um, was really great. And then let's see what else a couple weeks ago, Bob and I went on a road trip and I had asked folks for an audiobook recommendation. The like the Venn diagram of me and Bob in audiobooks is either like fun science fiction fantasy stuff like Andy Weir or true crime, like nonviolent true crime. And Kelly, our uh, coworker, Kelly Jensen, recommended The Less People Know About Us by Axton Betts Hamilton, who is a... She's an expert in identity theft because when she was a kid, her parents' identities were stolen mm. and it shaped her childhood. Like they become paranoid about who it might be in their lives. This is like the mid 90s oh. before internet identity theft is a thing. So like someone is stealing their mail out Oof. of their mailbox and their power gets turned off because they never got the power bill to pay it, all this kind of stuff. So they become very paranoid and sort of shut themselves out from family life and community life. And so like, it's rough for her as a, a kid, especially being the only child in that family. As she grows up, she becomes obsessed with trying to figure out who did it. And the answer is very surprising. So that was a good listen. It was a great recommendation from Kelly. Um, and I'm currently like deep in the Rebecca Shinsky Wheelhouse reading The Zen of Therapy by Mark Epstein, <laughs> who is, <laughs> I know, I know. I, was, I had like three general uh, uh, directional guesses and yeah, you landed that one hard. <laughs> what were the other two? Well, I mean, you kind of already did the multi-generational and then it was going to be something precisely in that vein. I'm like, or is there somehow another Gilead adjacent like, uh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> journey yeah. through <laughs> feeling yep, yeah nope so it's a it's a are. book called the zen of therapy <laughs> uh Mar just i feel known vanessa you are known you are seen <laughs> you are strong um, you are all the things. <laughs> Epstein is a uh, psychiatrist. He's also been a practicing Buddhist for decades. He learned mindfulness from and meditation from the first generation of American teachers who went over to India and trained in the 70s and then brought it back here. So he has trained with Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein and, and those folks um, and like casually references his meetings with the Dalai Lama. Um, oh, okay. And... <laughs> I know. I've read a few others of his books because I'm just interested in you know, therapy and psychology and you know how we're put together as people. But this is specifically about a year that he spent trying to pay extra attention to how the concepts of mindfulness and meditation and like some of it is specifically Buddhist, but most of it is broader, how the ideas of meditation make their way into the way that he practices therapy. Right. So he just set out for to like once a week or so make notes from a session if he noticed that he said something in the session that related to that. So you get like a page of like, you know, Sally is this kind of person and here's the thing that she's dealing with. And this is the issue that she brought up in this session. And then I said this, mm -hmm. here's how I explained it. 
And then sort of a chunk of maybe a page or two of his after action notes about so like here's what I was thinking about when I brought that up or here's what made it come to mind here's how it connects to other things here's how this has come up in my own meditation practice it's just super interesting wow. um, to think about for me <laughs> this is yeah. a Venn diagram that I live right in the middle of <laughs> for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> I might be the only person in the middle of this Venn diagram but Mark Epstein's like sold some books in his career so I think he's I don't yes. think I'm alone correct correct um, but I'm really enjoying oh. it that's been very interesting to read so i actually have like a related read that i just remember oh really front list that i just because it reminded me of like self-care and the wellness space adjacent stuff but there's a really great i'm very very maybe like a quarter of the way through but it's called who is wellness for it's oh that's um, been on my list faria roshin i believe is her name and yeah it's basically an examination of the ways in which like the self-care and like wellness industry has been completely co-opted commodified etc and it's Mm -hmm. like very very white when like I mean, yoga being like the perfect example, right? Is like quite yep. literally a South Asian practice, but it's like if you look mm-hmm. at any yoga marketing anywhere, you know, et cetera. Um, so it's that is just a, again, like yeah, I'll look at the again. It's not the same as what you're reading, but just as far as um, some juicy nonfiction that examines, yeah, interesting practices. I'm really excited to keep going with it because it's, it's just oh, that, that's a lot of my wheelhouse as well. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. That was on my list in our summer new releases. Ooh, um, that's right, draft. So I'm yeah, I'm gonna get there soon. And I've also been looking related at um, American Detox by Carrie Kelly. Yeah, that one is, too. Yeah, that, I think that seems like a good one too. Punch. Maybe we'll do like a little mini book club. Yeah, when we've read both of those. I would super <laughs> be interested because I have those. feelings already, and I'm only again like a quarter of the way through. Great. Well, sign me up for that. Okay, before we get out today, I just want to share a few resources, references with our listeners. First up, the New York Public Library, because they don't have enough to do, is going to give away half a million free books this summer to the kids. The kids are going to be okay, Vanessa. I think they are. are. Uh, So we'll have info about that. There's a link to a Book Riot piece that gives you more info. And then, of course, if you are a a card holder for the New York Public Library, and as we know from recent episodes, you don't have to be based in New York to do that, um, and you're a a young person, uh, you have access to enter those giveaways. Half a million free books. We love to see it. Yeah, that's a lot. I also got a press release this morning for a conference called The Margins, which is being hosted by an organization called The Word that's based in Denver. And The Margins is a writer's conference specifically for writers from marginalized backgrounds, um, which is an uncommon thing these days still. I've seen a lot of writer's conferences. I've been to a lot of writer's conferences. And there's often like a diversity panel. I think they're doing a better job. Most conferences are doing a better job these days, incorporating diversity and representation across their panels. But spaces that are specifically dedicated for writers from marginalized backgrounds and the experience of what it's like. It's hard enough to get a book published if you're a rich middle-aged white guy. Um, (laughs) It's much more challenging still um, for folks who don't have those advantages. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that there is a conference dedicated specifically to, you know, what it's like to be working as a writer um, from a background that doesn't give you necessarily all those advantages and helps you make connections and access resources. Um, so that is being held in Denver in mid August. So you have about a month. They're also doing, um, there, there is online access as well. So we'll have a link to both of those in the show notes, the NYPL's half a million books giveaway 
Saturday and the Margins Conference hosted by The Word if you're looking for a good resource for some professional development or creative inspiration for the rest of the summer. Yeah. Vanessa, is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Don't be a Jimmy P. Um, <laughs> not that you had any prayer of doing so, but don't be a Jimmy P. <laughs> <laughs> go buy some queer books there's a lot of queer good stuff going out there get some free books yeah that's that's all fill our oh, lives yeah. with the good things <laughs> all the bookstores have great pride month displays right now so it's not even you don't even have to work to go no. find some good queer books you don't you should be willing to do it but you won't have to all right well until next time folks and i'll be on vacation next week jeff will be here with jen so hang tight have a good one, and we will talk to you soon. Peace.